smoking and growing and watching prohibition fall down. What's up, DGC? Special guest, Jeremy from Build a Soul, no stranger to do Grow Show. How's it going, Jeremy? Hey, what's up, guys? What up, Jeremy? What are you doing there? Scotty, you're prepping with your big bucket of weed? Yeah, I got to find. There's one. There's the weed I smoke at work and the weed I don't smoke at work, and they're both in this (laughs) bucket curing. So, yeah. I just just went and grabbed a bowl from the back, and we had to pull out, like, the office filing cabinet. And I was like, oh, there's none of the new stuff? Dang. Uh, yeah. Well, today, guys, if you don't know Jeremy, we got buildasoil.com. Jeremy's, uh, re- not too recently, you got a lot going on, a cool series, a 10 by 10 series, I think it is, on YouTube. You guys can check out tons of knowledge, and today we're going to get into questions. Hang so on, the- I, I got to give him a shout out for that 10 sure. by 10. Come on, I haven't been here in a day, I got to interrupt, but that 10 by 10 is a good series, man. I got friends in Florida that when they came up to visit me, they were like, you know Jeremy, man? Oh, I watch his 10 by 10 series, and it's just good, so. I really recommend it, man. Definitely. Um, and I was saying that uh, today's show built thanks to the DDC Patreon producers. we got some questions. We put out a little poll to see what we want to talk about. And I know Jeremy loves to drop knowledge. So we're just going to hop right into this so we can fit it all in and start the grow talk, guys. Yeah. Right off the bat, for people that don't know, this is in from Minds Eye Open. Um, says, I'd like to know where his roots came from and who he learned his soil recipes from. And how the business came to be. So if you can give us like an overview, um, you've been at this for how long now? Oh, this is, that's a good question. It's been about 10 years and build the soil, I'd say more officially, like eight, nine years. And so um, I'll give you kind of the fast version and at least you a little know a little bit more about where I came from. Early on, people like to ask this a lot, like what college did you go to for soil or whatever? And I think that most people, when they start to study and look at agronomy or look at Uh, going to like an agricultural school, a lot of times they're learning the conventional methodology. And um, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to study organics. And the, I would say the thing that the gateway, so to speak, was cannabis for me, but it led to a a deeper desire to understand soil. And so for me, uh, much like most of you, I just started reading and I have a really big appetite for learning I'm always reading, taking courses online. And so all of the information that I'm providing for people on the YouTube channel and everywhere else is completely from mentors before me on the forums and then actively trying all of it. So one of the things I do on the daily uh, or weekly, I should say now, is jujitsu. And we all share everything with each other and we all try and get better at it, bring it back to the table and then just see what works and what doesn't. And to me, it's the most authentic in the sense that um, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And There's been a lot of bro science out there, but over the last decade, we've been able to find very good information, challenge it scientifically, put it to proof of concept out there in the world. And instead of inventing it, I feel like we're more sharing what we see is working. So my background as far as education is literally reading, but my background as far as business goes a little bit further. So I'll just give you the story and then we'll kind of go on to the next, but build a soil started as an idea and it actually was going to be a vegetable farm and it started as MontroseTomato.com. And I was already at home trying lots of living soil recipes. Clackamas Coot was my mentor. You can watch that YouTube episode on kind of our story and a lot of what he's taught me on our, on our YouTube series. For those of you that don't know Clackamas Coot, Lumper Dogs, AKA, he was an old curmudgeon that was on all the different grow forums. And unbeknownst to a lot of those people, he had some trauma he was overcoming with his, uh, in any case, his family, a few things. And he was wanting to share everything that he knew and learned and help people and spend some time there for many reasons. 
but he was able to share a lot of um, organic soil recipes from his past 30, 40 years of growing experience. And for those of you that know, know he has a lot of experience um, and a lot of relationships with other growers. So we just copied those recipes. And what we noticed right away was it was really difficult to source a lot of these rare organic ingredients. And we go to the local grow shop, they didn't have much of that. And I found that it wasn't as profitable. It was easier to have a standard set of bottled nutrients that they could come in on a repeat purchase. And very few had a couple down to earth boxes of organic nutrients that you could buy. And I learned a lot of those organic nutrients were approved for organic use, but came from GMO fed farms and were waste of, of the standard industry considered organic, but not really. So in a desire to make these recipes, I was literally driving up to the forest, scooping like, you know, forest litter out, buying ingredients from all over the country and the world, networking, talking, asking questions. Eventually, I tried all the recipes that I wanted to try from Subcool and TLO and Coots recipes and every variety thereof. And we've started to find what worked. And almost all of it does. But we found some benefits in certain areas. We started to share that with the world. And a lot of people liked Coots recipes. They liked a lot of the clean ingredients we were having to source to make it. So we are we started opening it up to say, look, it, build your own soil. Let us build it, whatever you want. Buy the ingredients, buy the stuff. And it just became a game of logistics, sourcing ingredients, and, and now more recently teaching it on a larger scale. And during the first part of that decade of running Build-A-Soil, we were learning more what would work. For the first time, Living Soil Grows were hitting commercial scale, passing microbial and heavy metal testing and getting on the market, and customers were wanting more. And so now, um, full circle, we've been using soil testing at the lab and testing ingredients and uh, over thousands of soil tests internally, as well as our customers, it's sort of built the build a soil way out of more than just the happenstance of the forums. Now we've tested it against all of it. And so that's where our information comes from. That's some of our story before build a soil. Um, I bought and sold some properties. I was trying to get rich and do real estate and I had a lot of fun doing it, but there was not a lot of intrinsic value there. And when I moved to Colorado, I was from California and I really started to grow a lot more. I went through some challenges in my life. Um, I broke off a relationship, closed a business. And so this became a solace for me. It became a place where I spent a lot of my energy. And when I was at work, I'd be thinking about growing and how to improve it. And so naturally, when I got around to getting back on my feet, I wanted to start a business that had passion, something that I actually enjoyed. And that if it didn't make money, it wouldn't matter. And huge and important, the passion. I it love was it. amazing. Yeah. The first couple of years, it ramped up from starving to making money. And those were probably some of the best times because I had very little responsibility. I'd pack and pick my own orders and it was simple. And I made more than enough to pay the bills. Um, but the opportunity standard as such that it was, I wanted to take the opportunity to move it forward. So now we have uh, 30 to 40 employees, depending on the time of year. Jesus. Um, we're growing rapidly. And managing 40 employees, having multiple buildings, a vegetable farm, managing, taking the dogs out, relationship with my family, <laughs> it's just demanding more of me. And so that's all of what I'm trying to experience. I want to grow and this is causing me to do it. And then I correlate a lot of that back to the garden. So it's this constant biofeedback. And I think that our customers enjoy those conversations. And I hope to bring some of that to you today when I answer the rest of your questions. Dude, I could totally see on one of those uh, reality TV property flipping shows, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you could have pulled it off. You could be selling. <laughs> it wasn't as rewarding. You're always looking for the next flip. I think that if I can do this right, it'd be cool to own some real estate someday and keep it, you know, but um, I've, I've lost some of the passion for that. Numbers yeah. are fun, but this is way better. I can't believe we get to, I mean, you do something similar. You're following your heart. I, I feel like this is where it's at, so. 
I used touched on something because I started uh, Real Growers or the company before that, right around uh, 2012, 2013, around there. And that was kind of when the information really started getting out there where I was on Overgrow or I was actually heard yep. about Coot. I was intimidated as hell by Coot because I heard he didn't, he didn't pull no punches, yeah. man. No. But uh, that kind of was the time when it's like a real life changing time for me because I was able to kind of control my own destiny, control my own education. Anyhow, as much as I wanted to hang out till two, three in the morning and I could either, yes. you know, watch crap on on YouTube or watch uh, or, or learn from Coot or geez, I'm trying to remember who else I was learning from back then. Mostly. Over. So cool. What's this All kinds of people out there. stuff, yeah. man? I better get this or I'm going to be left behind. man. No, very much right there with you. I was single at the time. I had, you know, no kids, not a lot of responsibility. And I literally, I was working for a car dealership at the time. I was doing finance paperwork and stuff and didn't oh like it. It was God. Like something oh my God. very oh my temporary, God. right? Because I was good at computers and I live in a small town and I just knew that, hey, I can do computer stuff and maybe that's of some advantage. And a lot of dead time there. I just walked in on a Saturday and quit. I was making great money. I had no really reason to do so other than it's not what I wanted to do with my life. And it was really scary, but it was easily the best decision I've ever made in my life. And like it. Um, it started to turn into something that is of more tremendous value than I anticipated. I thought it'd just be about cannabis, but we've got a vegetable farm. We're talking about acreage growing, organic, synthetic. I mean, all these conversations we get to have better than I really thought when we first started the company. So I appreciate you even me, having me on here as your platform. I've watched grow over the years and it's amazing what you guys are doing, how much response we get from your customer base. Um, I really feel like connected there. I feel like a lot of people follow us both and you've earned that over the years. And it's pretty cool to see because in this industry, you see a lot of people come and go real quick. So let's say back at you, buddy, um, not to change the subject, but I'm going to change it right to grow here. That was a good, good hit on where you came from and motivate people to follow the passions in their life. Yeah, let's hey, start I just it off here. Say, you can do it yourself, man. If you want to do build yourself into what Jeremy is, um, you can do it. It just takes you know, turn off the family guy and uh, start doing a little, <laughs> start doing a little bit of research, man. You can uh, uh, biology microbiology for dummies is a book I'm falling asleep to. You know, I never got to take microbiology in in, in school. Don't have kids too quick. Just I got a couple, man. Just kidding. Do what you want. All right, grow talk here. This is from Grow Away Thirty Nine and Dark Cycle. Uh, Dr. Bruce Bugby was just on Mr. Grow at show number 46 and said, basically, the only benefits we get from organics is the stress response from waiting for the nutrients to become available. And also that they all break down to the same thing, synthetics anyway. Well, so man, you're just coming at them, huh? Yeah, wow. right, right away. We're, we're trying to, I don't know, <laughs> so we're trying to shit on organics, but it's interesting. What can we give? What Dr. Bruce Bugby, he has his own, I'm familiar with Mr. Grow it. He's a... <laughs> Give me a breakdown, um, either of you. This is great. So Mr. Grow It, I, I'm not as familiar with, but I noticed he's got a good following. He's professional. I believe Dean, who does our YouTube videos, um, has expressed he's reached out. We might be doing a show together at some point. And so I'm looking forward solid. to that. Um, there's always some synergy everywhere in the community here, especially uh, in the videos. I think it's really cool. And Bruce Bugsby, for those of you that don't know, I haven't seen the episode that they're talking about. Um, I will go watch it. In fact, I'll pull it up. Maybe I can pull some of the talking points. but. Bruce Bugsby, I have learned a lot from over the years, and I also have watched some of his lighting information. If you watch our YouTube, we do a talk on DLI. A lot of what I learned about DLI was originally spoken by Bruce Bugsby because he owns Apogee, 
and or at least part owner. I forget how that all works, but he works at uh, Utah State, I believe. Um, sorry about that. And he does uh, the Apogee is the par meter that reads the light. So it makes a lot of sense that I wanted to learn from him and he taught me a lot. So it's no, it doesn't surprise me what he's saying about organics. So what he's saying is very, very true. It doesn't mean that organics is not worthwhile. And there's a lot that we're missing when we just treat that conversation so simply. And I believe if we were to get on the video together and Bruce and I were talking, we'd agree on 99% of the stuff we talked about. And it would be just maybe a difference in choice about which what we choose to spend most of our time doing. If I remember right, I think he did organic farming at some point in his life. Um, most recently, oh. he reached out to me about um, some potassium silicate product and some testing they were doing that we that we offer and heavy metals and a lot of other cool stuff. But in any case, let's get back to his question or this question about that. So um, can you read it back to me? He says yeah. that essentially synthetic nutrients and organic nutrients, when they're plant available, they're the same? I'll read it one more time here. So basically the only benefits we get from organics is the stress response from waiting for the nutrients to become available and mm -hmm. that they will also break down into the same synthetics anyway. Okay, so this is a really good conversation. Um, really worthwhile in having. And I think that anybody that's in science like Bruce would say a lot of this depends on what you're trying to accomplish. And ultimately from a scientific perspective, if we're looking at peak production and lack of environmental harm, you could choose some synthetics and some organics, but I don't make it that simple. A lot of this is about philosophy, lifestyle, and it goes way, way beyond just choosing whether one is least harmful than the other. To be clear, you could really wreak havoc using improper organic production on large scale, just like you could with synthetics. So I think that saying one or the other is evil, I would have to see how they're being done, right? But one of the things that I learned um, about organics is that once they're broken down, the plant sees them as similar um, products, meaning um, ammonium is ammonium, nitrates nitrate, right? And so the difference is where they originate. And so if I put some cover crop in, significantly different, they're, yeah, of course, taking nitrogen out of the air, but that process is no longer done by lots of German scientists who created this nitrogen process, whereby which we burn fossil fuel and we suck it out of the air. Okay, so let's say nitrogen is nitrogen. Well, why can't we just get it from cover crop, feed the bees, actually feed liquid carbon from the sun into the earth via exudates, feeding the, the biology, as opposed to raping and pillaging the earth using fossil fuel that goes up in price and now is a commodity controlled by the government to farm. And I think a lot of the reason why is the question is postulated of, are we talking about a backyard farm, which would arguably a better way to feed people than growing one farm in one place and shipping it everywhere? If we really need maximum production and everything the way it's got to be to feed the whole world from one farm, I agree. There's a lot of rules we have to break. But if we can agree maybe that you could just have farms in every locale, you could grow some of your own food, we no longer need some of this peak production. And a lot of the synthetic is better goats out the window because with organics, if they break down to the same thing, I look at supply chain. So my simple postulation right there is cover crop would be better. I think Bruce would probably agree with me. But at the end of the day, cover crop might be more challenging for the average farmer to push a button on and to manage as a process. Now, isn't it all more challenging when we take this into our into our grow rooms, into our grow tents, yes, into our containers? Is, okay, but that is the benefit here. We're the human psyche needs something that is going to be never mastered, is maybe a hobby in the sense that we fall in love with it, we can never master it, and it's a way to spend time that doesn't have some gain at the end of it. Like when it's like a hobby. It. now when you're farming, it's different. 
But for the personal farmer, it's like, hey, I, I just need to have these many plants and I can go many different directions. So for me, um, being a scientist in chemistry means that although they derive at the same level, now I'm a person who's in charge instead of a steward. For a brand new grower, that means you're going to have less quality in a synthetic grow, unless you're copying someone's exact formula to perfection. In organic, it's a little bit easier, but it doesn't just stop there. Now we're looking at what he said was stress. And so I would, I would agree with him in the sense that like humans need what I call optimal stress. And I used to call it use stress, like positive stress, but there are studies, you can look at this There's one where I think it's universe 25. These mice were put in a perfect paradise, unlimited food, and they knew what their threshold in that universe was as far as what they could get to peak production before it was a problem. And they never got there before they murdered it all. They just basically cannibalized each other and the whole thing went down. Probably because they had no stress and life's not meant to live that way. We have reasons why we need to go forage for food and, and spend time doing things. I believe plants are similar in that we just put their roots in water. And if we're precision perfect, you can get some pretty good results, but you're not going to get those terps and those flavors and those qualities, those secondary metabolites that the plant produces because it has stress. Well, now, I see where we're going organics bring the dank. Yeah. Now, does that mean that we have to, meaning that doing a shittier job in organics produces better dank? Like not necessarily. We still need to optimally get the job done in organics. But I believe that when you compare the two, one would be like, you don't need to use your teeth in your stomach if you just inject the food in. That's not a good way to live life. And I don't think plants should be that way easier. They want to use their, they want to dig in that soil and create a relationship in the soil. And so when you look at creating that relationship and now including carbon, now you have to have biology. Biology breaks it down and makes the nutrients available in this synthetic form now for the plants. But see, the difference is, is it's on tap in the soil and it's a biological relationship that puts it back in the cycle of life. To me, bypassing that, although doable, is not the worthwhile pursuit because of my end goals are different than probably Bruce's. I'm not working for a university trying to increase yield this much. I'm just growing the fire. <laughs> and I think soil produces better terps and better quality. And I've seen correlation where in hydro, when there's kind of that lack of stress, introducing some organics can make the plant work for it or bring the biology that may stimulate that. And we see higher terpenes and this is limited. So like, I can't say, I know, I'm just saying the data that I've yeah. seen across lots of soil testing and lots of grows that I've worked with, albeit I'm obviously biased towards soil. I've seen better terpene results. And it could be that you can do the same in hydro. I just feel for the average guy with a job and a life and kids and stuff, you're going to kill it in soil have an easier, less stressful life. And now you're a steward. The plant is smart. It's got thousands of years of intelligence to do its job. We let it do it. You can certainly control it for the plant and get really good at it. I know some hydro growers that just kill it, but it's not my thing. And then if we actually couple the fact that we want to improve the soil, if we're going outdoor and acreage, um, I believe organics and permaculture to be better. Now you can just go grab manure and dump it all over everything and use organic chicken manure from the worst farms and Met, you could ruin the groundwater that way. So I don't think that just being organic is really the answer. I think no matter which side of the fence you're on, it takes some sort of uh, planning and intelligence if you're doing large scale and you don't want to cause harm. But I mean, we could talk about this all day. Um, even the soil mixes we're in aren't really natural soil, but they're still more organic than uh, perlite and peat moss, so to speak, right? We put tons of rock dust, lots of compost, but when you think about it, it's because organic matter creates biology. The biology breaks down the nutrients. 
that brings back that steward effect. So let me ask you, what when you're when a one of a viewer of yours is watching and they're saying, Hey, I heard that synthetics the same as organic when nutrients are accepted by the plant. Do you think it's that simple? Or do you think that behind the 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 streams of what creates those nutrients, do you think there's a difference worthwhile? Um, why is it a good question, so to speak, you know, definitely. I believe it's, I mean, I grow synganically, if you will, don't know oh. if you believe in that or not. I lean on organics and synthetics, insect grass teas. I do certain organic amendments because I do believe it trying to replicate nature. But like you said earlier, sometimes I do like to rely on, uh, I'm not gonna say I rely on a feed chart, but when you have this set of bottles and you do have a feed chart, it can be a recipe for success for sure but I always like to add some type of funk to it. I just, yeah. I think it's embedded in me to where I feel like if I'm just feeding with liquid bottle synthetics that you're missing something here. Like where's the worm? Where's a little yeah. bit of this? Well, it goes uh, both sides, but guys that grow organic want to kind of use the bottles to maybe boost their yield where they haven't before without figuring out the soil balance because you can overdo it in soil and lower your yield. So I don't necessarily see a problem with growing with synthetic and organics, but when your end goal is to be no-till, and you have to keep throwing the soil out or flushing it, it just becomes working against my ultimate goal. So I like to teach what I personally do. And I don't think that's the only way by any means. But when people come to Build a Soil's channel and they want to see a big container, a small container, an earth box, and see many different ways to run no-till, the idea is to have more than enough soil so that you have a good buffer. And in hydro, you have almost no buffer at all. And so on the organic side, you have help from nature and you can, you can lean on it. You, it still means you can mess it up, but the build a soil way is to eliminate the lack of knowledge by an abundance of balanced soil. And now my life's so easy. So I don't really have to inject those synthetics, but in the smaller containers, Synganic gets such good results that a lot of people just dump and keep going. And well, let me hit you with this. Me, you're going right into the next question here. And this is the quietest I've seen Scotty for a little bit. I'm kind of liking it. He's just <laughs> I'm chilling, man. We should I'm get chilling. Bruce together. We should just talk to Bruce. It'd be fun. I think we could argue um, about a lot of it because I feel like he would agree with me. We're just talking different answers. Yeah, hey, I, I, will jump, I will jump in because you had asked our, our opinion on and basically what you're talking about is nutrient cycling or just the natural way that soil works which is, you know, it breaks down whatever it is, the leaf litter, basically compost. It takes those and, and feeds the microbes. The microbes make the nutrients. Yep. Uh, all that stuff, of course, is amazing. I mean, I'm a microbe guy, so I have tons of respect for that. And if I'm doing a, a, something large scale, absolutely. Uh, I, I would uh, do my best or I would want to try to do something organic like that. In the small scale, I run, I got a two by four tent so I'm doing five gallon buckets. I don't, I'm not convinced that that's a big enough battery to do organics, nor am I convinced that that's the same thing where I'm worrying about runoff and uh, all these other things that, I, that might motivate me to have an organic garden or go organic. When it comes to my tents, I have a real simple synth uh, synthetic system as well. And I don't know, I'm, I'm happy with it. Well, let me mention before, because um, you're going to tie right into it. You said a two by four tent. Uh, Patrick O'Neill wants to know what's the smallest size pot you would do no-till and then what about smallest size pots in general for organic gardening I mean we yeah. always say it's about the battery right when people are trying to grow organically in a three gal are they working against themselves yep I mean do you have so, a minimum do you say hey, 10 gal or don't matter kind of, it's like what's possible versus what's easy is always uh there's good better best and I feel like the old adage of getting one fish in a little fish bowl 
you better have the pH right. The nitrogen can't flux. It's got to be clean of algae. Right. You get a, you know, a whole ocean or a swimming pool and put one fish in, you don't even need to check on it. And so the buffer is what I would call it, is that when you have more soil, you have more buffer. The other thing you have with soil is that the roots, while mining the soil for their nutrients, since they're not readily available, since they do have to rely on biology, they tend to pick up nutrients better at the sloughing off point at the new root that's shooting through the media. So having more gives you more of that. They're not just getting root bound. Um, and, And so the buffer, I would say, is I don't know why people pigeonhole themselves to small containers, meaning in a two by four tent, you can fill the whole bottom of soil. You don't need two five-gallon pots. And so it's a, ma- it's <laughs> like a matter it. of soil per canopy. I'm not asking for more than a four by four of space. Same space could have 100 gallons of soil or it could have 10. If I was going to ask- tenfold in your buffer. And so I did on the last YouTube series, we did five-gallon containers, three of them. We pulled about a pound, but it arguably was too big of a plant for no-till and was not as nearly as healthy as the other ones. Now, the herb was phenomenal. I'm happy with it. I'd probably have to dump it and reamend it. So to keep that same yield, I would prefer to have 10 gallons there. So I only maybe went halfway. It keeps it on an even keel for no-till. It makes it more accurate round after round. And so I think 10 gallons is a great minimum starting point. If you can fit five, you can fit 10. Um, And a lot of times it's about soil per canopy. So for instance, having nine, 10 gallons to me would be just as good as having a 90 gallon. It doesn't matter. And so I can predict yield in an organic setup by saying, which one of your quadrants has more soil that typically should yield better. Now, when you add synthetics in there, of course, you can artificially give them some, some readily available nutrients. And so then becomes the question, do I go with a small container? And if you did a five gallon, you could absolutely do no-till. The goal would be to flip from seed though, because all of its stretch would be in the beginning of flower. It would be a great relationship of plant size to container size. In the five gallons in our series, they were triple the size of the container, which means it's more of a recycled soil at that point. It's, it's almost root bound, top dressed out. It's not a real no-till. It's too stressed out for that, which produces some good herb, but it, it gets us back to recycling or dumping it in the garden and starting fresh again. So the no-till community not wanting to have to buy new soil all the time or reset. They're asking, would more soil fix it? A lot of times it did. And then we would back off on what we fed because the more soil fixed it, now we weren't overshooting and lowering our yield. It was like less was more. And we could get better yield, better stability. And here's why it all happened. In the beginning, right now, right now, I know that adding a little synthetic to a five gallon will not kill your biology. But there's some arguments there we'll talk about. But in the beginning, we were convinced it literally would kill your biology. So we just didn't do it. And we forced ourselves to go other ways. And we found the way. Now we know you can use some synthetics, but it may not kill your biology, but it's like, which dog's going to win the fight, right? It's the one you feed. And I feel like if, if you're allowing biology to have food because you use organics, they'll always be there. If you stop the organics and go to synthetic, you may not kill biology, but there's no job for them anymore. They're not going to exist for very long. Well, it depends specifically what you're talking about, though. You talk mycorrhizae, yes. absolutely. And I always find that. Well, not even just mycorrhizae, because they associate to help the plant with phosphorus. I feel like probably more things, right? Water, all this. But I feel like if the plant has an abundance, right? In the mycetopia scenario, where they just have everything they need, why do all this work and let this fungi hook up with me? But if we have a relationship where... Maybe I'm not uberly wealthy and have everything I need. Now I need relationships and people in my life and friends. And Mm -hmm. that creates this relationship and this community. And that's what living soil is about. And it goes to a philosophy that makes sense because I believe nature mimics itself everywhere. 
Scotty? Yeah, I agree, man. <laughs> I agree. That's why I, I never stress really mycorrhizae. I, I get mycorrhizae on right in the beginning. So I think of it like a, like a fingernail infection or fingernail fungus, you know, and then as it grows, it grows on the tip. But uh, with using synthetics, I don't expect to have some huge expansive uh, uh, my, mycelium. Is, do I have the pronunciation on the right syllable? I think so. Yeah, well, I mean, you could also foliar spray synthetics of- and not even mess with your soil. Um, but I believe there's a ton of organics that are worthwhile for looking at that. And so a lot of times I've noticed with our customers, they tend to, if they are one of the more loyal to the soil customers that follow the build a soil way, they're more like myself in the sense that I've chosen to not do a lot of the things that are doable, arguably, that aren't necessarily bad for the earth, even though they're synthetic. And I've chosen that to restrict myself to add value to the decisions that I make. Um, Much like if you are poor and you have nothing to do, that can lead to boredom. But if you're very happy with your life, sometimes the, the lack of choices means that, well, you should be happy with what you have. And it's almost easier. The first world problems we call them come when someone's like, oh my God, I've got free time. Uh, do I spend it on going to the water park or to a baseball game? And I, oh, I'm wasting my free time, not using it as good as possible. So there's value in decisions. And a lot of our customers value organic and the restrictiveness that that provides to just have fun in that area. Um, it doesn't mean it's the only way I've just noticed that. So nah, it's really cool talking to you, by the way, you're great to get baked with brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, uh, it really is. Thank you for being so honest and, uh, forthcoming about it's a philosophy, you know, different people have different philosophies and you are such a, a great advocate or steward or whatever you want to say, but motivator for that organic philosophy. And, uh, I, I'm a steward of the soil myself. I have acreage in Florida and I don't just, uh, uh, I don't, I respect it. I should say, you know, we have it all tested all the time and whatnot, but it it is just a different philosophy, man, doing organics and what you were saying about mastering, uh, it is pretty easy. I have a system where it's very simple. I'm busy doing other stuff and, uh, I don't really have to do much. It's pretty much automated. And I find there's myself. There's danger there. Yeah, so, I'm telling you, I found myself no, uh, playing I, around it, with. Here's what I mean by that is like the microwave did it. Like something that took three hours takes 60 seconds. And what do you find? <laughs> there's three seconds left on every microwave because people are like, Fuck, just go. It should be faster. It should be instant. So you get a grow going. You get it fully automated. It's on a feed with RO water. It's dosatroned out. There you go. You might not even, you might be like, oh, I don't even check on the grill for like a week. I'm fine. You just get in other routines where on my side, it's like you're dedicating a certain amount of time every day, no matter fucking what. And it becomes right. an in, like of intrinsic value as opposed to something you're trying to bypass. And I delete. love this. I love right? it. Brother. Preach. Like the experience is of value to me. So I don't want to automate it and get it gone. Now I have a grow at home when the 10 by 10 is going here arguably I'm already fulfilling my desire. So I may neglect the home one when the, when the work one is more important and I'm a total hypocrite. So like I'm growing under led lights and a fucking fake organic soil and I'm calling it organic. And so it's a passion. It's a desire. It's not necessarily like I'm pretending like it's the ultimate perfect way. When we go out to acreage, there's a whole another set of problems that we would address. And I believe the most worthwhile pursuit, at least for me is that if I can learn a skill that God forbid the food goes away and I can't go to a hydro store. Right. The skills that we're acquiring could actually improve the soil, build the carbon, feed nature, provide more than enough food and cannabis for myself, and I wouldn't have to buy anything. And so the ultimate would be 
permaculture, jadam, like we're literally recycling our waste on farm without importing things. And arguably build a soil doesn't, I mean, we are, we ship soil in a bag. Like I'm a total hypocrite and I can't help but to laugh at myself <laughs> sometimes, even though I still have tons of passion for what we're doing and I believe in it. It's easy to look at it through another lens and say, what the hell? We're supposed to be just improving natural soil if we're really with it. So by any means necessary though, man, you know, no, I can tell you that, uh, yeah, everybody, you guys are making me think I call it grow styles. Everybody has a different grow style. Yeah. Um, and you're just mentioning, uh, vegetable gardening and you know, if the food runs out that immediately made me think, I noticed the first time when people start to vegetable garden or cannabis growing, you start to have more than you need. You're like, Oh, yeah. here's neighbors. Here's, here's some more. fruits and vegetables. Oh, here's some cannabis. Oh, you tote, right. man. I just harvested a ton. Um, and I'm going to take this over to home growing a little bit. Wait, hang Scotty. on, man. Yeah. When he's, when he said, when the, uh, when the food runs out, I started thinking of guru and warehouse Kyle guarding the stockpile of grow dots, man. You know, think about <laughs> fertilizer becomes like the new commodity, you know? Yeah. So um, when COVID hit, we had our vegetable farm and I'm thinking, fuck, did we start guarding it? Like, what do we do? But I'm glad <laughs> I have a farm, you know? You're right. We like to talk about recently, Jeremy, um, getting people into growing and, and promoting, hey, man, all you really need is a two by four tent. And they're not that expensive. Let's get this going. I want to shout out here to DGC Captain Falkman. I forgot. Uh, Guru, if you can show the just the pics in his grow. He was uh, talking about how many plants can I think you had this on one of your series as well. How many plants can you get into two by four or three by three? And he did nine plants in a three by three and a two by four. That's pretty surprised. I usually don't recommend nine plants for a two by four. I grow four plants in a two by four and three gallons. Do you have a magic number? Or I mean, I shouldn't say a magic number, but yeah. I have some recommendations. Um, going over the philosophy of how to choose container size, plant size, all of that. I think most of us that are growing, if it's our first grow, a lot of times it's about harvesting fairly quickly. So we don't have to suffer uh, going to the store anymore or buying it, you know, in the back alley, so to speak. And I know for me, that was very important. So a lot of times people look at auto flowers and all the, you know, what's the fastest flowering time. But once they get through that initial, like, okay, I'm constantly stocked. Like you said, nature is abundant. You literally have more than you can, than you can burn. Now, obviously if you've got bills to pay and you're, and you're selling it, you can never have enough. But when it truly is for your head stash, it's like just straight abundance. You're giving it yeah. to friends. It's, it's, literally going bad before you can smoke at all. So when it get back, when it gets back to that point, you have to start saying, okay, I have a canopy size and I just want to max that out. And so now the goal is if I have one plant, it's going to take a lot of vegetative growth to max out the canopy. It just will take longer than if I had more plants. And so to me, if I could be constantly flowering, that would be the ideal use of all of my paid for LED energy or my, my grow lights, because I don't want to veg for six months. That means only one harvest or two a year. So for me, yield means over a course of time, over the whole year, not just one grow. And if I can harvest, 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 and get one more in per year, then arguably the shortest veg time leads to the most yield. And the only way to fill your canopy with the shortest veg time is to max your plant count out with what you can fit in there. And so the Sea of Green, um, Wolf Siegel uh, talks about his attribution and writing back in the day to kind of inventing the Sea of Green. And he gives you some very specific parameters of number of plant per square meter to call it the Sea of Green. Interesting. But, but ultimately, all we're trying to do is grow a plant that they call lollipop, where it literally has one vertical and just straight buds, no side branching. 
as many of those as you can, because the apical meristem and the top bud will have the most efficient use of energy to produce the highest terpene and uh, THC content, according to a lot of testing, lowers versus tops, maybe closer to the light, whatever. But then you just have walls of those. Your trim works easier. Your quality is better. Your yields are better. Most people only have six, 12 plants they can grow. They have more space. So they, they oftentimes need to grow a slightly bigger plant. And here's the other thing, skill level. So if you were to put a hundred seedlings in a two by four, arguably harder to take to a healthy harvest with airflow and everything else. Uh, also, they're going to fight each other so much. There's going to be big quality differences. So there's some magic number based on your plant. Meaning if you've got a short, squatty, bushy plant that does not stretch at all, you might be able to really max the plant count. Where if you have one that really jumps in size a lot when you flip the flower, you might want to leave it slightly thinner. Either way, your canopy will be full. The goal, once you learn your plant, your plants, your genetics that you have, if you're not hunting for something new, you have a known stable, your, your optimal number of plants will be what hits a peak canopy the fastest amount of time without being overgrown where you have to hack it all back. And then you can flip the flower short period of time and have the highest quality. What's a short veg time to you? I mean, I've short seen some pictures. Short veg time is three to five days, seven days, you know, kind of at most. I mean, you want to transplant from a clone stage, get them comfortable, but a plant that stretches a little bit will go from that stage. If it's a clone, it's already at sexual maturity. It'll drop. It'll get a week of veg and double in size. And once it gets that doubling, you know, when they're about to just explode with growth, you flip to flower then, and you have your entire battery of soil to charge it the entire flowering. It doesn't deplete anything. And it literally hammers at the fastest speed it can go all the way through flower. But if you let it bush out and you miss your window and it bushes a little too big, you have to top it and hack it back. It's arguably getting past its like teenage years where it's the most productive. And it could be an older plant that you're flowering, so to speak. And I'm not saying that's bad. I just feel like we're talking about managing energy. And so like in the soil, one of the key energy forms or helping with that, um, like this old farming book, Biological Ionization, he uses synthetics <laughs> and organics, but they talk about nitrogen being an electrolyte and it helping flow of energy. So when you're overwatered, it stunts it. And when you're watered optimally, it optimizes it because we're kind of building an energy battery, almost like the plant is the antenna and there's energy flow with electricity. And so if you stifle that overwatering, too much nutrient, not enough sun, you're affecting the way that it is like a radio receiving, transmitting, and charging. And the old school cool, principles man. really went on to energy where we don't talk much, as much about that. And so we could, Bugsby and I, I bet you, I could learn a lot from him. He knows a lot more arguably than I'll ever learn with all of his professional studies. But I'm like a student at that. I look up to him and I bet you if we talked about all these different things, he would have good and bad to say about organics and synthetics. So it's never just that simple. And that's why we can, there's so much to talk about. So I think a lot of, I mean, I know I'm over vegging. We saw some pictures uh, submitted to dudegrows.com of, I was asking about growers going, uh, starting photo period seeds and a 12 12 light cycle. Yeah, right from and the start. These plants were easily three foot tall and maybe some a little more and had yep. great flower on them. I well, was like, okay. So from seed is different from clone. And I like flowering from seed. And I will tell you that the plants do not flower right away. It will extend your flower time a little bit. And the reason why is they have to grow up, hit sexual maturity, then trigger into flower. And if you're at 12 hours of light, one of the things that we've learned from Bugsby that I've shared on our channel is DLI, daily lighting integral. These new lights are so powerful that in 12 hours, we could max out charging the battery. 
That's why in flower, they're so great. The I same like light without a proper environment at 24 hours a day literally blows the DLI. DLI is the strength over how many hours in the day. And if you think of the plant having a battery that can get to 100%, nature has clouds. It's triple charging all day. In our environment, you might be overdoing it in 12 to 18 hours if your light's on full strength. So 12-12 from seed, we now have enough energy to literally fully charge them, even in 12-12 with our new grow lights. But at that point, they still haven't hit sexual maturity. So they actually grow quite a bit from seed, even when you jump into flower and then trigger into flower pretty quickly. And we're able to keep the DLI optimal, fully cranked the whole way in 12-12. Yeah, I'm going to try that for the first time. I'm excited. I'd love to do it here and just throw a ton of plants, but we're trying to keep the plant count conservative and teach multiple styles. So I like you said, Ryan. Switch it up with a little IPM talk here. Gabriel Wilson chimes in and says, what are some great beneficial insects other than lace wigs, lady bu- lace wings, ladybugs, or predator mites, which all are great. Um, and yeah, and I have a, a question about my own, my own IPM, but yeah. What then, about beneficial? What do you, what yeah. do you got for spider mites, man? For spider mites. There's, Asking okay, for so a there's, friend. There's so many different <laughs> beneficials that you can buy. And what I really feel like is happening is it's an attempt to create an ecosystem. And a lot of times the permaculture principle is that you should fill every void with something of benefit to your goals. So in permaculture, you want to have trees and vines and bushes and weeds and bugs and animals, everything. Otherwise, the the answer is nature will do it for you and it may not be what you like. And so in biomimicry, putting these beneficials in makes a lot of sense, but there's a lot of choices and a lot of misinformation. And I do not have all the answers. I will tell you what I've seen is preventative is significantly better than having to use them as actual um, eradication. Preventative, they all work phenomenally well. So even in our greenhouse where we have vegetables, we use Aphidius colmani, and those are a parasitic wasp. And they inject aphids, which are migrant and seasonal out here. We will always deal with them on certain crops. But we're able to do it without spraying any pesticides. Uh, my wife slays the aphids with a Jadam wetting agent and a few other tricks. But the Aphidius colmani, they will um, inhabit the greenhouse under the leaves of plants that we don't harvest the leaf, like pepper plants, other ones. And they will slay the aphids. I mean, they're one of the coolest things I've ever seen. They parasitize the aphid and turn them brown. And then <laughs> new wasps come out of that and they just continue <laughs> their awesome. job. And they one more time, the name of it? One, one more uh, time, the name? That's Aphidius colmani. There's a couple types. Those work based on the temperature that we have. I believe when you research them on a farm, you're looking at your temperature that might be ideal for your predator, the pest that you're trying to eliminate. And so we'll put those Aphidius colmanis in before we see any aphids. That way we never see them. But if when you see them, you put them in, you're going to be probably fighting them the whole time. And you'll want to put some normal integrated pest management routines, like looking for worse areas, identifying exactly what you have, and then maybe making your own concoction to spray. So the Jadam Organic Farming recommends growing your own herbs, making your own concoction, deciding what works on that pest that year. Once you found the key to the safe, so to speak, the combo, you use that on your whole farm and you can mm-hmm. use a backpack sprayer, whatever. Indoors, it's different. Now, if you just go buy rove beetles, for instance, I love rove beetles. They come basically in all of our soil because we use compost. All the build of soil soil will have free rove beetles in it for the most part. Now, sometimes that's a, a curse though, in the sense that if they just eat everything in sight, they'll proliferate, they'll proliferate and you'll find them in your plant. 
So what was of benefit when you wanted them to be a predator now can all of a sudden turn into just as bad as what you were trying to prevent. <laughs> so in nature, it's more about balance. And um, I would say, try not to overdo anything super hard. Just be conservative, put some beneficials in um, early on. I really like um, some nematodes, some predator mites and rove beetles usually come naturally. You can buy them if you don't have any, but don't like 10 X the recommendation. It de- more is not always better, I guess is what I'm right. getting at. And then here's the thing in living soil, when you're in a larger container, the wet and dry cycles are less noticeably affecting on the population of beneficials. So one purchase is all you need. They pretty much stay around forever and they multiply and they optimize at a colony size. That's based on what your particular environment looks like. Like if you had some gnats over a season, they'll be gone. When you keep replacing your soil, they never go away. When you no-till everything balances. And after a cycle or two, everything's gone. And so there's benefits to staying on the bus. There's benefits to getting further than other people have gone. And that's where a lot of this no-till philosophy came from. Um, but when it comes to beneficials, the other thing that I want to recommend is getting a worm bin started. We have the urban worm bin we sell at Build-A-Soil. There's a number of ways to do it. But when you start har- uh, processing some of your own food waste or some of your own grill waste, the leaves and such, and you're putting them in the worm bin, almost as if by magic, you get all of the beneficials that you would be looking to purchase for free. And then you can inoculate your own grow with an organic fertilizer that although it's the same when it's broken down as synthetics, it's bringing in carbon, it's bringing in all these beneficials. And um, I believe that when you do all of that and you get the beneficials and you're bringing the nutrients, that's a faster way than just trying to go in the catalog and buy whatever beneficial is whatever problem you currently have. So for spider mites, for instance, if it's too late, now we're looking to buy a sachet of something that will go eat the the mites. Right. And I don't I don't I don't have enough experience with that because I feel like it's almost too late at that point. But in commercial grows, the last thing you're going to do is scrap it, right? And so they've they've proven lots of ways to use beneficials. I'm just not an expert there on how to eradicate with them. All right, I got the comments and questions real quick here. So for those listening that were curious, the affidavit. Aphidius colmani is like aphid us and then like coleman with an i at the end so some people are interested in that and then uh, as far as you're using these beneficials because you know you're going to have if you don't you know what issues you face just through your experience issues in the region that i'm in for an outdoor organic vegetable but i don't encourage people in grow tents and grow rooms to spend the money on beneficials unless they are from like they know a problem is going to come like if you don't ever have mites like i was going to ask i get some shit on the show sometimes my ipm i say is scouting people are like what you don't i don't even do preventative spraying i scout i say i have a two by four tent i can look at the whole canopy i can inspect every plant daily multiple times yeah. daily if i want to uh that's why i don't spend my money or spray my plants or buy yeah. beneficials there's all different scales of it you're talking of you know outdoor or else greenhouse growing but I don't feel beneficials are worth it for the average grower unless you are experienced with a problem that you know is going to come otherwise. Yeah. Like if you're setting up a big bed of 200 gallons of soil, it's not as much investment to buy a one-time purchase of some beneficials to kickstart your biology. But just buying them because you think you need them every grow and putting them in five gallons and stuff, it's a big waste of money in my opinion. It doesn't lead to better results. All I'm after is better results. And so I'm kind of with you there. The other thing about IPM is one of the key tenets of the build a soil way is we tell all the new growers never ever to take in a clone, no matter how generous the gift is, no matter Ooh. how cool the clone is, absolutely <laughs> do not take a clone in. 
because people <laughs> have this false the belief wounds, that they man. can look at the plant, they can inspect it and say it's fine. Over time, you can, but not looking at one clone in a few minutes and decide. And so without knowing what you don't know because you're new and without knowing how bad it could be. without well, What about the clone quarantine? You know, what about people yeah, that are- That's if you're experienced, right? And so okay. if you're brand new, you're like, oh, I got this clone and you buy it. It just leads to a horrific first experience. And the last thing I want is somebody new spending a lot of effort and energy and then not even getting a harvest. I mean, it's they're true. never going to stick with it. I just want them to have Absolutely. some beginner's luck. And I want that to leverage that beginner's luck to go through all the problems they're going to have when they start to get smart. Um, because it's not perfect. There's a lot of learning to do. So I say grow from seed and what you would do for IPM would most likely work. Now, if you live in uh, an apartment complex and they happen to be have pests all over the bushes outside and your windows are open, like sometimes you just can't avoid it. So a lot of times when someone's new, I recommend them to have two or three organic products that they can rotate between kind of a preventative foliar spray. But as you just mentioned, dude, it's like, it's not hundred percent necessary, especially when you have more skill to avoid some of those problems because you've already had them. You know what they look like, you know how to avoid them. Um, that skill allows you to navigate away from the um, more secure path, right? Like if I'm going to bring in some clones and they're dangerous, maybe you might spray or maybe be like isolate. But um, if you are confident everything's clean, you've had a good couple runs and it's the same genetics. I mean, why? Why waste all this effort and time? I'm kind of right there with you. Let's do less, not more. Excellent information. I'm going to take yeah, it over man. to Smokey Toki. And do you write genetics? Because uh, Duke Diamond's hey. getting back in the game here. Duke Diamond says, tell us about the Duke Diamond blend you're working on. I had no idea. I think nice. these are the next ones we're going to pop in the 10 by 10. Not positive. I bought this before any of this started, um, you know, because I'm a fan of all these people. Just beef much cake, you guys man? are. Beefcake. Yeah, this is Beefcake D. This is Ken Dog D crossed with figure four male. This figure four is Triangle Kush, Airborne G13 crossed a Skelly Hash Plant, Super Sativa Seed Club Skunk One. And I'm super excited about it. But that that was just neither here nor there. This is just serendipity. I bought a few of his packs and hadn't before and before all of this happened. And we were at the Indo Expo and Rootwise was talking, uh, my buddy Kevin, who owns uh, Rootwise, he makes some seeds too. They were talking about genetics. They love growing. And he had mentioned that Duke had some ideas. Well, at that time, Duke was also going to turn himself in. Um, firearm, I think something like that. And it was just, he just had to get this done. So he went away for a little while, came out, and now he's hitting the ground running. He's had all his genetics, his life work, and his passion. He's got a partner, um, I believe, that helped some of the genetics. I don't know the whole story, but I know that he's back. And he will be doing right what on. he loves to do. Right on. And, and part of that, to him, when, we, when he reached out to me, he wrote me a letter, was... I want people that buy the seeds to grow like I grow and smoke the same bud that I'm smoking and truly experience that experience. And nice. I'm right there with him. That's we're we're connected at that point. And I also like breeders that have historically grown in similar ways to me because they've come about that experience similarly, right? And so it seems natural. Like we're not forcing each other to do anything different. He reached out and he said, look, if someone had a soil that was similar to what I use, it's easier to get them. Like usually they're like, I have your seeds and I already bought this soil and I'm already doing this. How do I get your results? He's like, well, shit, <laughs> you've already gone pretty far. Uh, if you were to do this, he does like some fermented fruit juice. He does uh, a heavily built soil that's in a larger container, like 10, 15 gallon. And he has uh, minerals and he has a whole bunch of organic amendments and castings and compost. And so his thought was, hey, if build a soil, because he, he trusted the reputation, could do that. We had some connections there. Maybe he could mix it and maybe the customers could benefit from that. And then 
they would actually get truly everything out of the seeds that he wanted them to get out of it. And I really respect that. So it's in its infancy. We've not started it yet. He's sent me over the information. We're going through all of the ingredients and making sure that we have allocation of those ingredients so that when we make it, it's not sold out on like making one pallet, right? We need to make at least enough bags to share the idea. And um, I'm not sure how quick it'll come together, but we're really motivated to get it done ASAP as it's not really reinventing the wheel. It's what he's done forever. And we have the ingredients. So I get that in the next couple of months. Um, I just don't want to put a timeline promise on it because it's got to meet the dupes. Yeah. I'm going to ship him the soil when it's made. He's going to test it. I'm going to test it at the lab. I'm more interested in him testing it than the lab because out of the thousands of tests we've done, there's been a lot of things that don't really add up on paper that works really well with plants. And part of what we want to do is get the essence of Duke diamond in that <laughs> bag of soil. So we'll the see. essence of Duke diamond. <laughs> um, put that I'm just getting bag. to know him better. Right. And so this mix will take a little bit of time to bring to market, but I'm super excited to do it because it, it's done for all the right reasons. And it probably will never be available by the truckload or anything like that. It's going to be a little bit too amended, I think, for us to do it in any large scale. But it'll be really cool for those of you that follow him. So excellent. You know, I dig. I'm stoked, man, to have him back to get him up on the show, Scotty. And hey, those talk grow and always had the most educational seed pack out there. Like the here's 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 about the strain on the back of the pack. I love yep. that. Oh, dude, it's really detailed. Not only that, but I even mentioned that I mm. wanted to grow these in the next series to kind of honor what we're doing together because I already wanted to pop this before he wrote the letter to me. And it just, you know, there's that serendipity that like tells you you're on the right path and things are just one foot in front of the other, the step appears. And so with the seat pack, I started saying what I wanted to do. And one of the things we're doing on the 10 by 10 series is we're going to start doing some pollen chucking, not to sell seeds, not to make them for the market by any means, but just to show others that it's pretty easy to make your own seeds and you should do it. And man, he just gave me like 20, 30 minute rundown on the phone of all the things that he would do he was trying to accomplish what my goal was. And man, nice. he's just full of breeding. <clears throat> so really great breeder. Solid, man. I appreciate that. He shares the info too. Yep. yep. Uh, two more questions here. Let's hit this. Uh, Tark 3469, Blaze King and Bootsy Jenkins all want to know a little bit about the uh, benefits of sapping. And this is a question also combining some product. Uh, it says uh, about the product J plant speakers. Um, can I mix it with Sicilium? Will it have a negative effect mixing the two? Um, I'm a Synganic grower, and after watching Jeremy, Jeremy's 10 by 10 series, I ordered some. So we can talk about both here. What can you mix with it? I believe that J Plant Speakers product is a, can I call it a wedding agent? Yeah, wedding agent. It's high saponin. So what we do is we look for like food grade, really clean ingredients. And this one in particular was very hard to source um, and very expensive for us to source because it is... 10 times higher in saponin than most of the products on the market, including of the same materials. What is saponin? That's like beneficial in itself to the plant? Yeah, it's. I believe it's a plant. I'd have to look up all the specifics because I'm, like I said, not properly educated to know all the scientific terms. But I believe it's one of the plant steroid groups. I could be wrong. Um, secondary metabolite, plants produce this saponin. It's like a soapy substance. So okay. saponin, if you put it in water, looks like foam, looks like soap. And the structure of it is such that it's actually a growth promotant to plants. It has some pesticidal properties. It's a beneficial secondary metabolite of plants that can be used for a lot of reasons. And what's so weird about it is we actually had some supply chain issues on this product. We were spending like over six figures just to buy the product, to bag it and sell it. It's on one skew. Like it's insane. Jay is a legend, but this product had some challenges to it. We found out recently 
it's such a clean sapin and they're actually putting it in some of the freaking second rate COVID vaccines. And they're going to be wiping out some of the saponin production. Like it's insane to find out that a key ingredient has human benefits, plant benefits, all these different things, because it was so safe to use, even injecting into the body. Um, but there's a lot of benefits to saponins. And I think you can mix them with a lot of things. I don't grow organically, but we're talking about like something very, it's ubiquitous in nature. It makes a lot of sense to mix with other things because wedding agent, the saponins in there help kind of emulsify and mix things together into water. Um, anytime you're using an oil, like a neem oil, this would emulsify into the water perfectly. Right. So, um, unless it was something specific, what did he mention? He was mixing with it. Um, uh, uh silica, a, a monosilicic acid. Oh, monosilicic acid. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I don't see why that would be of harm, um, at all. Um, a lot of times there's chemistry behind monosilicic acid and how it's absorbed and how these companies make it. I believe that in organics, there's absolutely no reason to use any of it. The plant has... If you do tissue testing, it has all the silica it can get. There's tons of rock dust in the soil. There's not a ton of benefit. However, the silica has other reasons than growth promoting as far as pesticidal properties, plant defense, IPM. So in hydro, there's no silica. So monosilicic acid and silica sources are of paramount importance for yield, for health. In soil, it's like, I mean, you got rock dust in there and the plant is taking up. I mean, it's almost uncanny how the plant eats rocks, but it's in all the plants that grow in soil. So it doesn't see, seem to be as big of a concern. So I would challenge you there to consider that. Um, other than that, mixing them together, my only hesitance is to say that when they chemically make these silicic acids that are like really available, I'm hesitant to say that something might not bind that and make it not plant available. But the way that I think it would work is it would just help keep it stuck to the plant, disperse it more evenly in the water and help the uptake. But I don't know for sure. So maybe ask the monosilicic acid producer and see if they're aware of anything um, of a wetting agent that would lock it out. I'd imagine most of them are probably recommended to use it with a wetting agent or your product already has a wetting agent in it, in the bottle with the monosilicic acid. So, And dude, safety tip, always spray just a small part of your garden before the whole damn thing. <laughs> Just right. spray part of a plant. Just make sure you're good yeah. when you're trying something new. Yeah. And fortunately with, with silica and saponin, you're probably never going to do any damage. It would be more like, was it worth the money? Right. Because we don't want to be wasteful. So. Okay. One more here. For, for, I'm a synthetic grower, right? Synthetic organic grower. I've never grown fully organically. I'm intimidated by mixing up the mixes, the soils, unless I consider growing with liquid organics and growing with biobiz. But for the synthetic or new growers out there that want to get into organics, they're can be they're just afraid of the yield or they're going to mess up the mix. Give me just a few tips for either newbie or somebody switching over uh, about growing organically. Oh, that's a really good question. We have a lot of people that um, are brand new and they have the opportunity to grow organic as maybe their first grow. When I first started, it really wasn't that way. You heard hydro was the way. That's what the shops right. had. And so you just did that and then learned about organic. So if you're brand new, and you're worried about it. Typically, what, what we hear is um, yield's not going to be as good, and I'm worried about that, right? Or they're worried about how, what, what pH and how do I flush it and the EC. Throw all that out the window, and I want you for your first grow to treat this like grandma's tomatoes. The <laughs> easiest way, I love no-till, and I'd like you to get there, but grab one earth box or two earth boxes and put them in your tent. I think two would fit in a two-by-four. Um, you can Google what an earth box is. You can watch our YouTube, but you fill it with soil and it has a reservoir of water that lives under the soil. The reason why I recommend this to start is in nature on an acre of soil or in a bag of potting soil. The hardest thing about it that you will get wrong if you don't have some help 
is over and under watering. Once you figure that out and you have the nuance, you have the touch where you understand that everything else works great. But if you don't know that you can do everything right, you can have the environment right and you can overwater and the plant won't access the nutrients or have the electrical energy required to do it. And if you underwater, it'll look like you're burning your plants. So the earth box eliminates it that completely. You water down a tube that goes below the soil. The plants naturally wick how much water they need and you never guess. When the reservoir is dry, you fill it with water. That is the only rule here. And get a light and look up what DLI is. You can watch our YouTube. All I'm interested in is that you get a good environment in your tent where you have the proper humidity, the proper temperature. You've dialed in the optimal light. That's why I mentioned DLI as far as daily lighting integral. We'll make sure with a basic math formula you can Google that you're not overdoing it with this expensive light you bought. You can overdo it just as much as underdo it. Once you're confident the lighting's right, you've got the humidity and temperature, and you set up your environment, you've got your earth box. I think a new grower should turn everything on and monitor it for a day or two to make sure there's no major environmental swings and get planting. Start from seed in an earth box. You should be able to yield significantly more than your first hydro grow, get good quality, and never have a problem. I want to reiterate, you said start from seed. Uh, that's just a great way to get your grow going and also quality seed, man. If you can get, I mean, I know people can have success from their friends bag seed. I'm not against that, but quality known genetics are huge, huge. Most important thing there is. I don't want to, um, I'd like to say that again, even if you do everything right, you have the best soil, you're a professional, like everything, you know, is right. You can have dramatically different quality and yield just from changing your seed. And until you've gotten good seed, there's almost no point. That's the weakest link organics and holistic land management, permaculture. It's about what the weakest link is. There's always more than you can possibly do in the day. There's always too many opportunities for the farm or your grow. The only way you hone that in. So it's not pure chaos is to look at the weakest link in your home grow. Genetics are the weakest link. Um, we ran some feminized seed last time from bloom seed company. And I don't like feminized that much, but I got to tell you some of the better herb in, 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 out of the garden. And so feminized might be an option. If you're scared about selecting like male or female, you yeah. can also send off for DNA testing on your regular seeds. So you don't overgrow the plant. Some new growers will get into problems because they have to keep plants around for longer than they're able to just to find the females. And that's where their, they, their downfall is. So right. be aware of the stumbling blocks that there are bad environment, bad genetics, and keeping plants too long in the same situation. That's what leads to a bad first grow. So I hope that helps. We can go into yeah. way more detail, but if you get good soil in an earth box, the only rule of earth box that I break, they keep the reservoir full. When you're doing living organic soil, lots of compost, you let the reservoir go dry, then you fill it. That's the only rule and everything works really well. I dig and check it all out. Great YouTube channel, build a soil. Uh, gives a lot of information over there as well. Uh, man, I mean, Scotty, unless you got anything else for the show today, it's uh, we always love having you on, man. There's some, some great episodes. If you guys Google, like, I believe, build a soil, dude grows worms. I mean, you talked at us once in a good way. I sometimes when I say talked <laughs> at us, it's in a good way. <laughs> I talk a lot. It's okay. Uh, a great uh, information on worms or just search Jeremy, build a soil, dude grows. There's been a few collaborations down the line. Uh, buildasoil.com, buildasoil on YouTube. Uh, what else would you like to shout out, Jeremy or Scotty, if you have anything else? I don't have anything else. I just want you guys to, I, 
I want you guys to experience it. And if you're looking to grow organic, then obviously our YouTube could help. If you're looking to grow synthetic, geek out on it, learn everything about it, just have fun. Make this something that's worthwhile. And if you've got questions about our style, we're here to help. So just reach out. We've got a support staff here. You can call, live chat, hit us up on YouTube, Instagram, doesn't matter. We just want to help overgrow the world. So I'll give thanks to the DGC producers that uh, came up with the questions today. And yeah, man, I'm I'm smarter than when we started. So I'll say peace out, DGC. Thanks, Jeremy. Shout out to Build a Soil. Thanks, Scotty. Hey, you shut me up, man. I was was actually honest when I said I'm going to shut up and listen, huh? Right on. Peace out, guys. Jeremy. Some people love to blaze up the deck. Yeah, we get happy for noon. And with the boss man's sister, take a little break.